All right. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining in. Um, my name is Dan Delitoy, and I'm the convener of this event. This event was designed to basically initiate a national conversation about one of the biggest problems hindering, um, hindering our national development and growth, our national growth and development, which is the issue of poverty. And most especially because poverty in this part of the world is not, is not a result of the lack of human or natural resources, but it is birthed from the incapacity of existing social, economic, and political systems to deliver on that promise of economic growth and development. And I think at this point, it is really important because the last decade, um, we saw how negligence to del deliberate action easily spun out the reality or narratives, right, that were very detrimental to our socioeconomic, um, 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 our socioeconomic environment. And what that simply means is one of the biggest conversations of the last decade was about unemployment, that the youth were unemployable, that we had a lot of unemployed and unskilled young people. Um, but this decade, there's a looming socioeconomic crisis when you have skilled people and we do not have enough systems that are creating opportunities for these skilled talents to even create economic value, right? So those kind of realities are, are the things that are contributing to poverty in, um, in, in Nigeria, in, in, in Africa, right? And the second, second problem is the high cost of social mobility. And all across the world, we've seen how nations have used innovation, um, impact-driven entrepreneurship, um, designing of efficient systems, right, to solve those kind of problems. And that is why this event wants to kick off a national conversation on what is that deliberate action that we need to take as a nation, as stakeholders who are both invested and affected by these realities um, on what is that deliberate action we need to do. And I'm going to round this up with two things. The first thing is, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of speaking over the last five years, especially with students. And I think this is a very important thing to note because students represent, is like, they, I, I feel, I feel, right, that aside the whole statistical reference of, oh, Nigeria hosts the, 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 the largest population of young people, Africa hosts the largest population of young people. Students in particular are a very interesting dynamic because they are that nexus of the two sides of the world, which is they are young people and they are also faced by these same problems tangibly, right? Than any other demographic, right? And this is really important to note. Because speaking to them, I always start off my conversations asking two questions. So when I ask, oh, can we name the three biggest problems that Nigerians are facing right now that we think need urgent attention? Everybody says the same thing, education, healthcare, we need better infrastructure. Everybody knows what the problems are. Secondly, is that when I ask, okay, we all know the problems, right? What do you think the solution to these problems will be? People bring up interesting, um, um, interesting answers. Oh, we need to diversify our economy. 
um, we need better policies or better poli policies need to be implemented. You know, everybody has a shared idea of what the solution should be. But then I asked the third question, which is, what, do you, what actions do you think we need to take now that will transform these problems, um, that will transform this, that, that we can apply these problems, these solutions to these problems and create the kind of realities we want? And then people just, you know, it just becomes like um, the Tower of Babel. People start to speak different language. So it begins to show that even as a nation, we are united by the problems we face. Even if we're not united by any other thing, we're united by the problems we face. We're united by the things that we need as solutions. But the major part of what is the collective deliberate action we need to take, right, as relevant stakeholders in this conversation, we do not have a shared understanding of that deliberate action. And that is a major problem for the advancement of this agenda of inclusive and sustainable prosperity in Africa. We do not have a shared idea of the actions we need to take between now and the future. And that is why this event is really critical. I'm going to end with a story. When I was a student in, in Obafemi Aoro University, I came across a young, a young man. He was aged about 15, 16. Um, this young man, as I knew it, was working with, was working with a friend of mine who had started um, a barber shop. Well, he, has, he had done something really interesting about the barber shop. He kind of gave the barber shop an experience that you would not get at a local barber shop. It was more service driven. You know, he, he had an experience around how people cut their hair. And people experience barbing, right? If I'll call it that. And at this barbing salon, this 15-year-old um, 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 boy was employed. Now, um, most people that know me know I'm an advocate for, for creating enabling environments for students, right? To get involved in the economic value creation ecosystem. And because there was no enabling environment for my friend's business, right? Um, you know, access to capital um access to professional services to help him create the right structures for sustainability of his business and you know different things like that he had to close up shop and a few years later i i, I got to learn that of course that young boy um was not out of a job he could not afford to go to school and he was on the streets begging i was really heartbroken to see that this young boy was now begging because of that one um, that one change that happened, right? And it became really, really worse when I started hearing that he was really that he was already involved in, you know, stealing, and you know, he was already becoming known around town for that. And it really hurts me, and it shows me the cost of inaction, right? That if I, I think you're responsible to today, like if I had been doing this since the first time I felt in my heart to do it uh, in 2017, you know, without you know, thinking of how big this is, right? Something might have happened, right? We would have changed the economic reality of that young boy. And this is why these kind of conversations are very critical right now. <laughs> if one of our biggest exports, right, over the last decade uh, is hush puppy, right? <laughs> um, funny to say that, um, you know, if we do not take deliberate action right now, these kind of conversations, I don't know what this next decade will bring. So on this note, I hope I've been able to set some precedence for how these conversations will go. And it is an honor for me to introduce to us our first keynote speaker, um, Mr. Olusho. He, he, he's, he's a man who needs no introduction. 
Um, it's Mr. Olusheon Onigbinde. He's a co-founder of Budgets um, Foundation and he's also the author of the Existential Questions, right? Um, because of this event, we're using this literature as the platform for these conversations. So thank you so much for joining me, Mr. Shewon Ibinde. Um, you can give us your keynote address. Hello, Mr. Shewon. Okay. Um, I guess we'll just wait for Mr. Show to, to come on. Hello, Mr. Show. I don't know if you can hear me. Okay. I think it's just rejoining. Um, while we wait for him to come up, please let us know. Um, I would like some feedback on my opening speech, um, if you can hear me. I would like to know your expectations. I would like to know where you are calling in from. Um, thank you so much. I can see the comments in the, in the, in the, in the chat section. Thank you so much for joining in. I, I really enjoy seeing um, the representation within the group. Thank you so much for your comments. Uh, Mr. Shown, are you ready for us? Hello, Mr. Olusheon. Hello, Mr. Olusheon, can you hear me? Okay. Um, okay. Uma, can you please help unmute um, Mr. Shen? I think he's trying to unmute himself. I see you have two accounts. Okay, Mr. Shang, you have been asked to unmute actually. Can you see that? Okay, um, why we try to figure out um, 
what's going on. Mr. Yomi, would you like to? Okay, I'm just trying to see if we can quickly resolve this. Hi, I'm, I'm happy to go ahead in the time being if, if that would help. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Um, so I'm sure just rejoins. So I'm trying to see. If... Okay, let's let's see if that works out. Uh, if it doesn't, I can I can go ahead before he, um, while he while we figure out what's going on there. But I'll just give it a few more minutes. Let me know. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm fine now. Okay. I think I would. I mean, he's saying the host is not allowing participants to unmute themselves. Um, I guess that was the issue. I'm so sorry uh, um, for that whole technology uh, challenge. Yeah. So I think we can start. Mm -hmm. like we can do a bit now. Uh, my name is Olusha Onimindi. Um, I'm the I'm the director for budgets, and I'm glad to talk about my my work and um, what I do um, as of, um, of the book that I wrote. I mean, they call it the legacy, the now and the future. And I, I really to look at a young guy like me. How do I represent the legacy? Um, how, how, how do I represent uh, um, what is, looks like the work is done? Because legacy is a very strong word. But I'm also aware that legacy is also something that is a continuous item. Yeah, it's continuously built. So it's not something that um, it's uh, just one-off. It's something that it's a persistent size of work um, that we have to constantly build upon ourselves. Um, I wrote a book called The Existential Questions, and some of it I will give it a little review today. Um, and my mission for writing that book is that there are germane questions that Nigeria has to answer, um, that Nigeria has to face if it wants a progressive or a productive society. Um, in 2000 and 1960, we gained independence. Um, the year 2020, we became 60 years. And there's some fundamental questions um, around productivity, fundamental questions around accountability, um, fundamental questions around um, the inequities um, within the civic space that has changed. Um, and, and until those fundamental questions are resolved, um, we can progress as a country. So I had these 35 odd questions that I put in my book uh, that I talked about. And I started them into five. At a section of struggle, that our oil has become so central to the situation of Nigeria. Direct to Nigeria's situation. Um, I looked at how oil is important to Nigeria's export volume, it's important to Nigeria's revenue volume. I think I'm um, it has appropriate credits uh, in a way, uh, in the way uh, oil has been. So, in my own view, clearly, uh, I think uh, having some network challenges. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. You're back. Thank you. All right. Um, 
And so oil has been very, very central to Nigeria's issues, has been central to Nigeria's um, challenges over the years. And, and, and I also try to look at what I call growth goals, education, health, agriculture, power, um, and energy, and infrastructure. I also try to look at nation building, how important is nation building to building a, a new society, different society, and justice, and accountability, and education. And Look like all the transition to that our development, and and basically the, the summary of my own point in that book is that these questions are not new. In fact, I'm not an expert that can answer all the questions. I only just laid out the arguments um, to the extent of my own knowledge, and in laying out those arguments, I'm trying to say Nigeria has to be bold and has to really collectively face its challenges, you know, boldly face challenges. And I, and I would give an example of that. And what I mean by we have to be bold to rapidly face our challenges. Um, it, for example, the, what, has, what is happening currently now with the BAT system, um, the value-added tax, speaks clearly to that. Um, so, for example, we know that uh, the value-added tax is not distributed on the principle of food derivation. Which means if you collect VAT in your local in your state or your local government, you only get 20% of it. The rest is put in a pool that is distributed on the basis of either equality or population. And that has been the situation of Nigeria for over the years, but nobody's interested in interrogating that until a huge question comes from even like River State and things like that. So there are issues, land use acts. For example, the land use act issue. Is there and nobody wants to interrogate the land use act issue because certain governors believe that that is where they build all the power. That land system within the country is in their own prerogative or inside their own discretion. Or we are also not ready to interrogate the civil service, the quality of the bureaucracy we have, you know, to say, can they catch, you know, for us as a so for me, that is exactly what I'm saying that there are questions that we will have to face or that if we don't face those questions, we can't change them. Security, why do we have around a centralized security system where almost everywhere that's convoluted or as challenging as Nigeria, it's very clear that the kind of security system that is effective, it has to do with uh, the one that goes, the one that is more decentralized. But you know, we have a security system that is a bit not decentralized, that is just uh, centralized and ineffective, and, and the signs are very, very obvious. So you will enjoy the book because I, it was a mixture of data. Uh, there's a bit of personal story. Um, and there's a whole of, of, of arguments around how things should look like. I mean, I see this book as a form, and I got people asked me, you're not pushing the book, you're not marketing the book, you know, it's a whole lot of work even writing a book. Now it's another extra work in trying to even market the book. Um, but, and I see this as um, something that it's, um, I'm very mindful of. Um, but I see it as a form of legacy. And I believe that, okay, this is where Nigeria is at 60. Um, if this is the situation of Nigeria at 60, what would Nigeria look like at 100? You know, um, What would Nigeria look like at 150? 
let me be at 100, we have exhausted the questions in this book. For example, in 2009, um, which is around 11 years ago, terrorism wasn't a question on Nigerians' books. Maybe we had issues of Niger Delta militancy, but terrorism or, 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 or is gross level of banditry and, um, and, um, and, and, and killings that you see was not like a permanent feature. They were clashes, yes. And we can see that that has become a permanent space within the Nigerian story. Or do we leverage new moves in the next reality? Say, okay, where do we now stay the next 10 years when it comes to terrorism or when it comes to the crisis or IT technology? Now we have at least three to four unicorns in Nigeria. No. Do we, how do we change that story? Is that going to be the permanent story? How many unicorns will be in Nigeria in the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years? What's going to be the role of young people there? So the situation of Nigeria is, as I've written in my book, is that, is that we either sink or swim. Um, we either come together to make the country forward or we just stay where we are. But like I've said in my book, I advise you to get a copy and read it. It is all about their existential questions that we need to answer. And until we answer those existential questions, we are not moving forward as a country. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mr. Sheon. Um, thank you so much for such an impactful. Can, can we all hear me? Yes. Hello. Maybe our host is having uh, challenges, but we can take if you have, I don't know how he wants to structure, but maybe if there are questions for me, um, we could we could, we could take them uh, maybe before we have the next speaker. Yeah. Hello everyone, good morning. So I think he's having technical issues, but I think um, from the agenda, Mr. Yami, please you can make your um, presentation now. Okay. Um, Turn on your video, please, thank hi, you. Hi everybody, uh, can you hear me? Hi. Oh, he's okay. back. The host, we lost you for a second. Were you gonna okay. do anything at the end of that? Oh. Oh, I, I think I really don't understand uh, what's happening to today's network. But thank you so much, Mr. Sharon. That was such a, a a great a great opening speech. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to do an introduction of Mr. Yomi, who is the who is the managing partner at Cardinal Stone Capital Advisors, and is also the author of Risk and Return. He's going to be giving us a keynote address on unlocking prosperity in Africa through impact-driven entrepreneurship. Um, so Yomi, you have the floor. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Happy Independence Day, everybody. And uh, in the spirit of Nigeria, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, may our future be better than our past. Uh, please say amen. You only two way. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share some slides if you don't mind. Um, so let me let me try to put 
my slides up and then um, I'd like the audience to confirm that they can see it once I once I put it up. Yes, can you, I can see it. Can you see Stop. this? Okay. Yes. So um, thank you very much for having us. I also uh, enjoyed Mr. Alushaun's uh, presentation. Uh, I think um, the host, uh, Tony, has tasked me with uh, you know, my, a keynote title on Locking Prosperity in Africa through Impact-Driven Entrepreneurship. I first wanna um, advise the audience that I am not gonna be telling you how to do anything because I don't see myself as an expert. Um, I think everybody's circumstance and path will be different. But what I'm gonna be sharing is a, a, a little story. I'm not gonna be talking as much about the book now. I think there's, um, there's another segment where I tell you a little bit about what's in the book. But part of what I'm about to talk you through is in the book uh, or comes out in the book. Um, what I'm gonna share with you is a story of my entrepreneurship journey and how that has led to impact. Right, And then I'm gonna tie it back to Mr. Lucian's message about the existential questions we need to ask ourselves in Nigeria, uh, given that journey I've been through that I'm still on today. And then, um, you know, we'll take it from there. I'm gonna run you through a few slides. They're gonna be very short, but it just helps um, take home my message. So, my, you know, my story, um, this part of the story, Cardinal Stone Group, starts in 2008 when I partnered with three other young Nigerians. I was 29 at the time. Four of us came together. We were, we were very, um, we wanted to build what we thought would be one of Africa's leading investment banking firm founded by Africans, uh, starting from Nigeria. We came together. And we, we went on the road and um, at the, all we had was a business plan, right? And uh, we, we had a vision and we went to meet some captains of industry and we convinced them to give us $4 million to, to start this business. Bold, audacious, but it was 2008 before the crash. People were hopeful um, and we were able to raise the money. We wanted to raise more, but I think in, in the process, the crash started happening. We had four units that we started at that time, investment banking, asset management, securities trading and principal investing. I headed the principal investment arm of the business, which was my mandate was to find real sector businesses to invest in and back. What's interesting about this space was time back to Mr. Lucian. At that time, we didn't have banditry issues. I remember I used to be on the road to Akure, Potako, Tworri, uh, real sector businesses. I didn't fear kidnapping, uh, you, know, you know, banditry or any of that stuff. Things have changed dramatically since then, but let's fast forward. Um, the market crash happened and then we had to survive. And I think the book kind of talks about that story of what compelled me to come back, why did we start and all that stuff. But 2008 to 2011 was a very painful learning period. But let's fast forward. By 2016, we had grown um, a respected firm and my part of the firm had actually made five investments in real sector businesses. And the, these businesses had grown. 
Uh, one, we had gone to resurrect the dying business. One, we acquired uh, uh, from a bank. Um, part of it was our money. Part of it was bring, you know, bringing in money from um, asset management clients. And part of it was starting, we started three new businesses from scratch. Uh, one of them, we got a, another entrepreneur, but we, you know, we had passion about what we were doing. Like, and we believed in it. We, we, we were not rich, we didn't have money. It was other people's money that had given us and entrusted us with it, but it was entrepreneurship and it, you know, we were building businesses. And more people were coming at us and more opportunities were being thrown at us, but we couldn't execute it with our own balance sheet. So in 2016, we went out there to international investors and said, look, we kind of know how to do this thing. Um, we wanted to raise money to do more. And it was a painful four years. In fact, it was during that time that I was going through reflections that I wrote my book, right? But where are we today? Um, as a Cardinal Stone group, we have a financial services arm that has five divisions. Um, and it's actually a leading investment banking firm in Nigeria today. Um, and it basically, it manages assets uh, about $300 million and above. We have CCA, which is a private equity arm, which I co-head now. So two of us are on CCA, while two of us uh, are on the financial services arm. In CCA, we, ma we still manage four of the five assets that we invested in before we raised our fund. Uh, and we also, uh, we raised a $64 million fund from international investors. I think it's important for me to name some of them. Uh, CDC of the UK government, IFC of the World Bank, FMO of the Dutch government, NSI of the Nigerian Sovereign Wealth Fund. Um, the reason why I named this is, again, these are development finance institutions that recognized that we were ourselves entrepreneurs and we were supporting entrepreneurs and we were adding and creating a lot of impact. And they wanted to find managers like us that kind of knew the ecosystem and knew how to do that. And so they basically entrusted us with more capital to do more of that. This is Cardinal Stone by the numbers, right? Just tells you a little bit. If you look at the financial services arm, some of the, you know, uh, most of which we built from scratch, one was acquired and, um, uh, and, um, consolidated in, as well as the real sector businesses that we invest in. We've actually built or backed uh, 12 SMEs. Uh, really, they're not they're no longer S in terms of the SMEs. They're more MEs because they're actually quite big. Um, we have close to $400 million under management. Um, we've created over 800 direct jobs within our businesses. Um, more than 5,000 indirect jobs across the value chains of many of our businesses, particularly the real sector one. Um, one of our businesses actually, uh, it's a FinTech business. It services supports over 500 financial institutions, and many of them microfinancial institutions. And then if you look down the value chain of the entrepreneurs and the retail users that use those, uh, that, that, that are served by those financial institutions, one of our businesses is iFitness today. Um, they have over 12,000 subscribers. By the end of the year, that will be over 20,000 subscribers that are living healthier lives, more fulfilled lives, and basically um, will, be, will be more productive to the economy. And beyond that, 
if I look at the private equity arm of the business, we don't just write checks, right? Because, and from our experience, we know the challenges businesses go through from inception to scale. And so there's a lot of support that when we, when, we, when we identify businesses or entrepreneurs to back that we bring to the table from just strategic guidance uh, to of course, treasury management, how do they track uh, their operating? Can you hear me? It says my internet is unstable. Can you hear me? Oh yes, I can hear you. Yes, I can hear Hello? you. Hello? Yes, please go on. Yes, yeah. I can hear you. From how, how you monthly performance to placing strategic relations. Importantly, uh, what we have jobs has created jobs. There's a lot of human capital and um, development within the communities within which our, our businesses operate. And several of our businesses actually produce services and products that help stem some import substitution. So these are all the plus things. I think let me make it clear that I did not start this journey from because I was altruistic and I wanted to grow Nigeria. I, I was passionate. I was living abroad. And I'll tell you more about this later. I, I, was, I didn't feel fulfilled. I missed home. Uh, and I felt I'll be happier back home. I didn't know if I could fit in back home. And I came back and I found three other partners and I was searching for myself and my own value and my own happiness. In the journey, I went through, I focused on what I was passionate about. And that's what took me through the hard time because this journey today, it sounds all good, but there've been really tough times along the way. But what kept me in it was, I was chasing my passion. We were lucky along the way. Let me be honest, because one of the sad things now linking this back to Mr. Lucien's message is there were many like us that started around the same time we started. And even after we started, there were, my book takes us through some of the horror stories we lived through. We were very fortunate that we made it through, right? Many were not so fortunate along the way. A society and an economy that really is serious needs to do more to make sure more groups like us and more young entrepreneurs that aspire to chase their passion can succeed. And to do that, we need to answer some of the questions Mr. Olusion brings up. Some of those questions need to be answered. Some of those things need to be resolved to allow more entrepreneurship to survive and succeed and, and flourish. On that note, thank you very much. Wow, awesome, 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 awesome. Thank you so much, Yomi. That was that was really awesome. And I really like how the conversations are already tying in, right? Um, with my conversation asking us, you know, what is the deliberate action that we need to take, right? Uh, Mr. Shaun is, 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 is also engaging us to start to ask what are the questions that we really need to answer? That if we are ready for action, where do we start? Um, um, what are the existing systems we need to question, right? And then, um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, Mr. Yomi is also telling us to, to create space within our heart to take that deliberate action and also not discount the place of luck. But aside the place of luck, we need to still take deliberate action with a clear, clear uh, mapped out objective. We need to clearly know where we want to take these actions towards. What are the outcomes? Right. So thank you so much, uh, Mr. Yomi and Mr. Olusio, for those really interesting and, um, you know, really 
really reflective. Those questions, um, those 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 comments have made us really reflect, and I'm really excited um, about how this is unfolding. So we'll just quickly move uh, because of time. As I said, I'm going to respect everyone's time. Um, we'll just move right into the book reviews. Um, the book reviews will be really short because you know we really spent time. Um, so how the book reviews will go is that Mr. Lucian will just quickly give us a, a brief brush through of um, the existential questions, right? Um, and I really urge him to give us, you know, behind the scenes, what are the things that we would not find within the book that were, but listening to them here would inspire us to quickly go pick up a copy um, so that we can quickly start asking those existential questions, you know, as we try to define the legacy for after going forward. Then Mr. Yomi would also um, give us behind the scenes on his book, Risk and Return. And how do you, within, um, amidst the odds, right, forge a plan of action, a, a plan of deliberate action um, amidst, you know, most the most um, unenabling circumstances, right? And I, will also, and I will also give a book review about my proposition for how the prosperous destiny of Africa can be unlocked by supporting um, the undergraduate community. Um, so Mr. Sean, can we please have you give us a book review on the educational questions? Hello, Mr. Sean. Okay. Um, I don't think he's on, on the call right now. Okay, let me see. Um, okay. Okay. Um, why we wait for Mr. Yomi to sorry, why we wait for Mr. Sheon to um jump back on the call? Uh, Mr. Yomi, um are you are you open to taking your book review? You know, you're my, you know you're my boss today, so Anything you tell me to do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that feels really good though. If I can be your boss for one day. Okay, great. So please can you please take us um on that journey? Um okay. again, if you don't mind, I'm gonna share a screen. Is that fine? Can yes, you, can please. You, can Enjoy. you guys see my screen? Yes, we can. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so guys, uh you know, um, I'm going to kind of take you through a brief, what's this book about? But I think rather than tell you what the book is about, again, um, I'd rather take you through a high level, um, how the book starts, um, and then the lessons and the takeaways, some of the lessons and the takeaway from the book. I think at the end of the book, I actually summarized some key lessons, and I can't remember, I think there are 20 something of them, but what I'm going to do is tell you a little bit about how the journey started. Um, and then the key, I'm going to talk about four key lessons that I want you to kind of hold on to in your lives, if you're an entrepreneur or whatever it is that you're pursuing in life. So really, the book is a, you know, very sincere, reflective, um, and relatable uh, account of my return home to Nigeria. Like I was born in Nigeria, I was a military brat, so I grew up all across the country, but I left the country when I was 15 and a half years to go to college, and I, I lived in America for 14 years, and in fact, people just thought I was lost in America, like I would never return, and I was, I was growing uh, professionally, 
I, but I got to a point where I was depressed and I'll tell you a little bit about it. And I just had to come back home and just find myself. And I wasn't sure I could ever reconnect back home because I'd lived all my adult life in the US. Um, so it tells a little bit about the journey of how that journey started, why, why I chose to come back, um, the steps I took, the ups and downs through the journey after I came back, the fears and excitements and the life lessons learned. And it's really a life lesson. It's called risk and return. And people think it's about investing. No, it's, it's about taking a risk and returning home. And it's also about taking a risk to find oneself. Um, and uh, even if you look at the cover, there are two landscapes there. There's New York and Lagos, right? I moved back from New York to Lagos. Um, and it actually ends kind of telling how this journey led me to finding my a life of meaning and fulfillment. Um, so how did, all, how did it all start? I mean, I was living in New York, earning six figures. I had my dream job, but I was miserable or what I thought was my dream job. And one morning I was walking home 2 a.m. in the morning, Times Square, um, in New York, very busy. Uh, at 2 a.m., you're probably thinking quiet. No, New York is very different. It was live, lights everywhere. And I was miserable. And I was as I was walking home, I saw this guy tendering a kiosk and moving flower pots out from outside inside. And he was whistling a song and he was happy. And I looked at him longingly like, man, 2 a.m. in the morning, this guy is working and he's, look at him, he's so happy. I bet he doesn't make a quarter of what I make. And I'm depressed. And I said to myself, I actually want to feel like that guy. I, I want to be passionate at 2 a.m. in the morning. I want to be happy. I think that was the first time I realized that the money I was making was not making me happy and I didn't care as much for it anymore. I wanted to find myself. That's where my journey started. And that's where the book starts. And then the book kind of tells you a little bit about how I got there. And then it takes you through the journey that ensued later. And then I moved back to Nigeria. Somehow I found three other partners and we started a business thinking we we're gonna, you know, just conquer the world. And I'm sure some of you know of the theory of the S-curve. The S-curve kind of is a theory that tells you the evolution of typical uh, a business or startup. You start, you know, from the bottom, you kind of grow, and then you have a high growth phase, and then you kind of get mature. Um, the reason why I highlighted this bottom part is that the truth of the matter is, what they don't tell you is that this curve, when you zoom in, actually looks like this on the right. It's not as smooth as they make it seem. It actually has a lot of a lot of areas where either near death or death and spikes. When you zoom in, you actually see this. And many businesses actually die along the way. And that's what people don't know when they teach this theory. And that's actually the, the average entrepreneur story, particularly in Nigeria. In Nigeria, see this, this trust, they're actually exaggerated. They are more than this. And the key is the book kind of takes you through our journey, we were thinking we were going on an S-curve and it kind of tells you the nitty gritty of some of the survival walk we went through. There are four key lessons I want to take you through that I learned along my journey and I'll share them with you very quickly. And that's kind of what the book kind of takes you through. The first is 
admit your fears and dare to share. You may have more to gain than you think you have to lose. You know, um, for me, my, my journey started with me admitting to myself that I was miserable when the world thought I should be happy. It started with me admitting to my wife that I needed to take a risk. At that time, she was my fiance. I needed to take a risk to come back home and will she come back with me? She's not Nigerian. And I needed her support to give me the confidence to come back home. It started with me admitting to my family that I wanted to come back and needed their help. It started with me admitting to certain friends and humbling myself that I wasn't happy and I needed their help to, to help me connect the dots when I moved back. That's how I found my partners. That's how we found shareholders. That's how we were connected to the people that supported us when we started. Lesson two, the right collaborators will be more essential than your own capabilities. Actively seek them out and be proactive about building goodwill. You know, questions people ask me, how much experience do I need? How many degrees do I need to succeed as an entrepreneur? How much money do I need to save? Let me tell you the answer here. Not, you can never have enough. It is not your experience only or your money or your degrees that will make you successful. It's a combination of all of that and the goodwill. You need to be likable. You need to be favored. People need to want to help you because there will be times when you're experiencing these ups and downs that your experience, your degree, your money will not be sufficient to get you over the hump. People need to say, you know what? That guy, let's help him out. That lady, you know what? She's humble, she's respectful, we will support her. Three, don't get carried away by the highs or scared off by the lows. Entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, I see a lot of early stage entrepreneurs thinking just about the upside, the upside, you know, it, you know this is where it's going. Yes, we all hope so, but there will be downtimes. If you're not passionate about it, if it's not something you're passionate about, when the downtime comes, you're likely to want to run away or to give up. The other part is people get carried away when things are, are, are looking good. Remember, there will be downtimes. Save for the downtimes. Prepare for the downtimes. They will come. Guarantee you that. In our journey, we've been through down cycles. We are just about to come out of another one by the grace of God. Finally, find people to be accountable to. This keeps you honest at the low times and grounded at the high times. You know, many entrepreneurs, they can't wait to be their own boss. You know, entrepreneurship, if you lose the fact that you have bosses, your customers are your bosses, you should be accountable to them. Your community are your bosses. You should be accountable to them. Get board members, get advisors, people that you feel you owe, even if it's just the sense of dignity that they chose to come along with you. Because let me tell you, when things are either down or when things are up, there will be things offered to you. There will be options that you'll be presented with that can make you let go of your values. It's very easy in Nigeria. It's very easy in the world. Um, have people to be accountable to. It's not just about you. It keeps you honest. And guess what? 
sometimes it saves you. There were some people that, not because we just knew we were fortunate, but for some decisions, we didn't take money from or we didn't do certain things, not because we were smart or extra vigilant. But years later, and I talk about some of this thing in the book, some of them were carried by our neighbor, EFCC, and we were just fortunate, right? Um, it was because we went, we knew that we owed our board members and our shareholders certain things that we took to them for advice. I guess, finally, which is not really one of the four lessons, again, going back to the first presentation I made, recognize that your journey, our journey, in these little, little buckets and little, little spheres is what will drive the impact in the country. I tend to think about micro impact because my micro impact as it grows touches more lives and create, creates macro impact. So this is what would drive Nigeria's growth. And on that note, this is the story of my book. And my book tells it by telling our journey. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for that amazing review of the book. Um, so, Jamie, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you so much. Um, I hope um, everybody enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, just a little update. Um, we know that we've been having... Okay. We know that um, we've been having a little challenge with network. Uh, we really apologize for that. I know it might, it might be really messing with the experience. Um, but I said, respecting your time is, you know, of utmost importance. So we might not be able to have the panel session. Once we have the review, uh, the book reviews, we'll just jump right into the break room session so that we can still maintain the time allotted for this event. All right, um, I'm just going to take my book review um, and then Mr. Olusheon will take his. Okay, so I said, I'm just going to take uh, the book review for my book, um, and then Mr. Lucian will take um, the book, this book review after me. So let me just quickly share my screen. Can we all hear me, please? Hello? Can we hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, great. I'm really sorry about the poor network. Um, yeah, but I hope it has been worth the time. Anyway, so my name is Bamjili Toye, and I authored a book called The Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa Game Plan. And basically what this book is about, is about the, re the reimagination of a different reality if we decided to take action towards a different theory of change. 
um, the conversation about poverty had been one that I'd been very interested in while I was a student of, of, of Afemi Awolo University, where it didn't make sense to me that I was in, at the time, the top university in Nigeria with so many brilliant minds doing so many brilliant things, but just outside the four walls of the university, the local community wasn't getting better for it. It just seemed like students were just there to be consumers and it didn't make sense to me. So at the time, I thought that the, the first step of deliberate action should be, how do I galvanize students to start to think differently about their responsibility as students, that students shouldn't just be more, like students can be more than those talent suppliers looking for jobs, but they could be the creator of jobs. Um, so at the time, I started to think, right, to look into the problems. And I, you know, and this, this, this exploration of that conversation has led into about three to five years of exploring that question of how do we unlock prosperity in Africa from the, from the local communities? Because it just seemed like for Nigeria, our informal economy makes up 65, more than 65%, between 45 to 65% actually. But yet with all of the innovation going on, right? The innovation is not really getting to the local communities fast enough, if I will say that. And that became the whole conversation behind this book. So the venture matrix for the future of Africa is just um, is, is, is a hypothesis on how I think prosperity can be unlocked in Africa, believing that the undergraduate community is the next frontier for creating prosperity in Africa. So I decided to design, while I was, while I was working on this book, I decided to design a seven-phase approach for how I think that prosperity could be unlocked in Africa. The first being that I noticed that the first, okay, I noticed that poverty, as I said earlier in the opening remark, was caused by three things that I, don't, I didn't think was getting enough attention. The first being that we were punching the wrong, we're punching or we were, we were fighting the wrong enemy, right? Most people think that our biggest problem causing um, um, poverty is corruption or that we do not have, um, systems and we do not have infrastructure but I, I beg to disagree a little you know with my argument and my argument was that the major issue is not the inexistence of this thing but the incapacity of the existing mechanisms for example if a system of job creation right is only able to perform at a 1.4 percent rate but the labor force is growing at 6% rate. It just means that it's an incapacity issue and not a non-existent issue, which means that jobs are being created, but not enough jobs are being created to meet the demand for jobs, right? So that is the first issue, right? The second issue was the high cost of social mobility, which means that in other climes, in other economic climes, right? If you can double your income, that means you hustle, you know, you, 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 you really strive, you struggle. Once you can double your income, you can change economic class. But in Africa, across Africa, right? It's such a high cost of social mobility that you have to actually 
quadruple or you know increase your income by about six times for you to change economic class and that is very high um, economically speaking and third is that there is low inclusion and engagement from the population of people that supposedly that supposedly make up the high percentage of the population which are the young people and these three things i felt are not being given enough attention so when I was coming up with this book, I, I decided to design, you know, a seven-phase infrastructure on how I think we can transform um, our now to the future. And the first was, okay, we needed a different theory of change, right? The, the integration of technology into everything was given a new um, opportunity for us to redefine our role in the world, especially with the potential of a digital economy, um, um, fully fully unlocking our potential to create prosperity within Africa. So the first thing has to be about the narrative. And that's also what I talk about in the book, which is that until we start to create a different narrative, we cannot see a different reality. And of course, narratives are sustained by structures, which is also what I talked about here. So until we start to tell different stories, until we start to create the kind of systems that can uphold these stories and create an even environment for young people to explore economic opportunity beyond just being a talent, beyond, beyond just being talent supply to our economy, um, we would we would not be able to move very fast. So the first thing we need to do is we need to focus on okay, what is the narrative we need to push as a nation? What is the story? What is the story about Nigeria that that needs to become? the reality in the next 10 years. This is the defining decade. And it's, it's something that we really need to start a question. As Mr. Onibindi has said, right, we need to start to pack the right questions. And we need to, as Mr. Yomi has also highlighted, we need to decide to return home, right? Return home metaphorically, right? Um, in our hearts, to start to ask us, um, what do we need to return to? as a generation that wants to progress, right? So the first is, you know, a theory of change. And what I did was I published a set of articles on LinkedIn and Medium, right, to make it accessible to anyone. Um, on, my, on my theory of change and what I think we need to focus on. And that got about 6,000 people to, that, that got about 6,000 plus people in the conversation. And it felt like, okay, this was, this was the right time. And it was a time for people to start to talk about this. Then secondly was, that stakeholder engagement is a big issue in Nigeria. It's one of the biggest hindering forces to our advancement. There is low engagement, there is low inclusion. Um, the different players, the different actors within our economy do not interact enough. Do they do not interface enough? They might do that you know, through regular symposiums, but I mean in, in, in co-creation of policies, co-creation of of, of strategic partnerships, co-creation of conversations that would reflect the kind of realities that we need. Um, I don't want to give examples here because you know I, I don't want to look you know like it's you know it's like it's like a witch hunt. But I'm sure everybody has their own version of what I'm saying because the, the kind of Africa we want, the kind of Nigeria we want, would have to be co-created, and everybody needs to feel like they're part of it for it to work. So for the second phase, I needed to show by example. So I got 20 leaders from industry, academia, and um, government to so come up with a conversation about the things I've written about. 
right? I got about over 500 undergraduate students um, and 20 of those, of those leaders from those sectors to come have a conversation with me. And all of those conversations between the theory of change that, that, that I had produced and all of those stakeholder engagements was what birthed this, the third phase, which that supports that theory. That is why the Christian faith has the Bible, it's the, the Islam as uh, the Quran, and even our educational uh, uh, systems are built on textbooks. So it was really evident that if I was going to, to provide an alternative, uh, an alternative logic to growth and development, into this book, which is the Venture Matrix of the Future Game Plan. And it's called a game plan because it presents to everyone some thinking models. It presents an alternative to how I think we can collectively take action. It also identifies um, you know, the roles of key individuals in this economic engine that need to cohesively work together to make this um, um, happen. And I said earlier, right, one of the biggest challenges to advancement in our nation is that we do not have a shared idea of the kind of deliberate or collective action we need to take together for us to change the reality that we have to the reality that we want. Everybody has their own self agenda that they're pursuing and that is, <laughs> that is no way to move forward. So I, I, I believed or I was, I was looking to tie in, at least if everybody can give this aspect of the conversation, shared collective action, right? we can have some advancement in this area, right? Now, the fourth phase is more policy focused. Um, I started a policy project last year to get 50,000 undergraduates to take a survey and sign a petition that the government, industry, and academia needs to start to look at how to support students in the undergraduate community to, do, to have more options. Because across the world, right, students in the university have options, right? Um, Every student has just three ambitions, right? Number one is to become a talent in the labor market, to advance their studies so that they can contribute to research and development, um, you know, through academic work, through scholastic work, rather. And number three is entrepreneurship. But, student, but universities these days um, are also incapacitated to even um, fulfill their core basic um, 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 agenda, which is able to, to ensure that there's enough talent to meet the, the demand for talent in the labor market because they are not, they are not designed to fit change. They are resistant to change and they're not able to adapt quickly to change, right? And those other two ambitions are not being taken care of. And that is why, you know, young people today uh, uh, easily get frustrated with the reality and learned self-helplessness self has become a norm within our society. And everybody feels like, yeah, we want this, but, you know, if we take the right action, you know, if we take the risk, you know, what is the incentive? So that's another problem. This, the, the incentive system is not designed to enable people to want to take the risks, right? So it's, it's, it's a lot of problems, a very complex problem. It's, um, it's deeply ingrained into a cultural reality, right? And that is why, that is what this book wants to address. Um, so that's the fourth phase. Um, the fifth phase, of course, is to get talents who would want to innovate around these problems and look for how to get them uh, mentorship 
and capital to be able to think around these critical problems in the local communities and transform local communities to emergent economies, right? Then the sixth phase, um, sorry, the, the fifth phase is to find those talents. The sixth phase is to connect them to mentorship and capital. And then the seventh phase is to, is to interface them with industry and get more capital for them to do more great work. And that is what this book just basically does. It creates the Hello, did we, did we lose the, the host? Sorry about that network again. Um, can we hear me? Yeah, we can now. Hello? Hello, can we hear me? Yes, we can. Can you please let me know if you can hear me? Hello, can you hear me? We can we can hear you. It seems you can hear us. Okay, okay, I think it's back now. I'm really sorry about the internet problem. Um, so I'm going to round up with this, right? As I said, um, so this book basically just um, this book is is very critical for every local actor to be a part of because it is not the norm. It is different. It's a different way of thinking. It would it would it would require us to think differently and act differently. But it is sure um, a sustainable way to build a co-created future of Africa, of Nigeria, that is prosperous. I'm, I'm very sure of it. Um, as I normally say, um, it is not just an investment for supporting undergraduates to build the next great thing, because I believe that the next big thing will come out from undergraduate communities. But I think it is the most cost-effective field. Um, they just need the support. Um, I was the mentor for Startup Grind and Halt Fries in my, while I was still an undergraduate student uh, for about two to three years. And I saw what students could do. Um, the Halt Fries has also shown what students could do, right? But the difference is that there is no bridge between the undergraduates right now and the local community that is just, you know, a stone throw away from them. Students are doing amazing, right? Um, you know, taking on the world, uh, uh, taking the bull by the arm, taking the world, exploring the world, thanks, thanks to the internet and the digital um, revolution going on. But there is a local community just right next to them that they are unable to influence and impact because there's no incentive, there's no bridge for them to start to implement um, or explore or experiment or test, um, you know, the things that they are learning, the, the, the ideas that they are having uh, uh, to, to, to create economic uh, prosperity, right? So I'm just putting up the contents of the book so that you can understand um, the thinking pattern and the flow of ideas. Um, I hope this few points of mine I've been able to properly articulate why I think that um, every 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 stakeholder in government, academia and industry needs to get a copy of this, as well as Mr. Sean and Mr. Yomi's books so that we can have a robust conversation about co-creating the future of, of a prosperous Africa. Thank you very much. Um, if you have, please, if you have questions, there are gonna be breakout sessions um, about right now. Um, 
we're just going to see if Mr. Sherwin is able to take his book review. And then we'll just have the breakup sessions and then we'll just round up. Um, um, so, okay, great. We have Mr. Sherwin with us. So, Mr. Sherwin, um, let me just stop sharing the screen. Let me see. Let me see. Okay. So um, I would quickly like to invite Mr. Shown to give us a book review on the ex existential questions and. Yes, you've been made co-host, sir. Um, it's probably network. It's probably network, actually. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. okay. It's the one because I can see from Mr. Jeff Bell's book. I mean. It looks like the grits, the energy, um, the work that is revolved, that is required to do the, uh, that is required to do great stuff. Um, and you know, I, 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 I'm excited with that. And also with your book about entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, so he also touches on the environment. speaks about the dysfunction that we have as a country. We cannot entrepreneur, we cannot build our way out of that um, until we are able to build a country that works effectively. And how do we build a country that works effectively? There's this triangle, and I'm going to come to my book because I think I missed this part in the first section that I presented. There's this, there's this triangle 
there's this triangle that this triangle with the supply side, demand side, and the institutions. Um, the supply side means the government itself. Um, that part is there. There's a demand side itself, which are the citizens. That part is there. The only part that completes that triangle are the institutions. And a country like cars, we must have institutions that regulate and protect the interaction between the citizens and the government. And that has to be the work of citizens. And the reality is that the people in government are interested in the status quo. You know, the people in government are interested in status quo. Nigerians have now built a way that we have externalized the problem of Nigeria. So we say, oh, it's government money. Oh, it is these people that are the problem of Nigeria. Whereas we, on the we Nigerians, boldly stand up and question every single thing and organize ourselves, our resources, you know, drop all our emotions and our ego and say, now we have to salvage this country. To be honest, that's the closest time that we can ever be to changing the story of Nigeria in my own view. So let me first start with that um, teaser um, ahead of this conversation before I talk about um, my book. And in talking about my book, um, the whole process of thinking about that is I've tried to write a book three times. Um, and one of the first things I, I did, maybe um, uh, one of the first things I did on what trying to write that book was to, was to, um, I, I mean, let me even start with the backstory. So I tried to write a book, a compilation of short story. You know, this time I had this fantasy, maybe I'll be the next Chimamanda. Um, then I was writing short stories that I figured out maybe it wasn't quality enough. Then I started writing a book on oil industry in Nigeria, um, more like a history of oil industry in Nigeria and how, and what, it, how, what does that look like over the years? Then I could also not finish that in a way as I wanted it to be. And finally, um, I now um, had to do um, this one, um, which is called the existential questions. And I took a year break uh, working with the Obama Foundation at Columbia University. Um, and it was in one of the times, one of the spare times I had in the rooms. I just said, okay, I can use this period to complete the book. I can use this time to write a book. And I dedicated, uh, I would just write um, a chapter per, per, per day or a chapter per week. You know, that was going to be 35 weeks and, and quietly and gradually. I said I was going to complete the book. I never completed the book. And I underestimated what it is to complete the book. And it dragged on and on and on until I finally completed the book. And uh, and, the, and that was that was it. So for me, it's uh, a thing of joy to be able to bring this to an end and to be able to do um, the work uh, and to be able to talk around the work I wanted to do. And I'll take you through the book. Apologies, I can't put on my video, but I'll try to do now a bit. You're, you're muted, uh, Mr. Sean, you're mute. Okay, good, I, apologies. So I, I would share a bit about what I wanted to do. 
um, when I was writing that book. And one of the key things that, I, that was on my mind was that um, missionhood um, is defined by the, the hopes, the aspirations, and the actions of his people. Uh, when we talk about what Nigeria has become, the responsibility might be disproportionate, um, but we all have a stake, or we have something that we have done, compromises that we have made that has formed the common reality of Nigeria as it is. Um, and I felt like we needed more conversation to interrogate, you know, we needed to interrogate the space much more effectively. We don't do that well enough. And I and one of the key issues I have in Nigeria, one, productivity. Why are we not a productive country as we should be? Um, what I mean productivity, look at the exchange rate crisis right now. Dollars is over five, almost 600. Pounds is almost 800. Um, euros and everything is out of the roof. Why? Because we have not been a productive country over the years. We've been a consumption country. We don't produce for the world. We technically don't produce much for the world except oil, um, gas, so the goods, the export of goods in this country. 96% in value is all like gas. That's hardly any country. Maybe except maybe Angola or Venezuela that you find that kind of metric where you don't sell anything else for the world beyond. And that has had a significant impact on the situation of Nigeria, how the economics of the country have been structured, how the country has been an outpost of extraction rather than productivity, how it's always been about how much can I take from this system instead of how much can I give into this system. Um, and without us not asking that question about what exactly is the problem of that, even despite all this oil revenue, we still have the population home to one of the most poor people in the world. We are still um, part of the people, our socioeconomic indicators don't look great. And we're becoming more insecure. Like I'm supposed to travel tomorrow to the East and in my head, I'm, everything is bubbling. That am I supposed to go or not to go? There was a time in 2009 or 2008, I took my father's car, I just brought a new car and I wanted to welcome that car, <laughs> you know, in my own way. So I took the car from Obadi Koro in Lagos. And I drove it all the way down to Worry alone. But I, 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 I was not looking for anybody in Worry. I was not finding anybody in Worry. I just, it was a, it was an Islam uh, Muslim holiday. I think it was the Salah. So the roads were free. So I drove. And there was no fear. And this is 2008, 9, 10. Yeah, there was no fear. But what is the confidence to do that up to The yellow show less brother was killed on the road between Benin and uh, Benin or a road. You know, what is the confidence of doing that today? You know, we won't be seeing how magnificent justice when you're driving into that countryside. What's the confidence of doing that? So that is the issue that we are facing, the existential issues of Nigeria and why the country has refused to move forward. And that existential issue is that we are not ready to tell ourselves the honest truth. We want issues to bubble up, we want things to happen. One circumstances to force us to take decisions, but no, there's no sense of proactivity how we should address this as, as effective as it should be. And I layer this around, we need to build a post-oil economy. That is a very, very significant issue right now because we've been on this same ride since 1973 during the Arab oil crisis, when oil prices went suddenly, from $3 per barrel to $12 per barrel. And everybody as at 1975, 76 was saying, 
problem we had was not money, but how to spend it. I don't know how true that statement is. But you look at us, uh, 3073 to 75, we were wallowing in so much money. We're making up so much trips. I talked about that effectively. I moved about that to the second paragraph. Imagine we had so much money in oil in the 70s, 70s, 80s. And what we did was that was to invest not just in infrastructure, but also to invest in people. So there is no way, there is no way without no fixing education, health, skills, vocation, individual capabilities, and giving people the abilities to try. There is no way for us to find advancement. So I was meant to make a point. So in 1973, oh, sorry, let me say, in 1960, was Nigeria got independence. In 1945, was the end of the Civil War. And in 1945, places like in Germany, almost every city in Germany was reduced to a rubble. It was heavily pumped. Cities like Cologne, they heavily pumped. Hamburg, heavily pumped. You know, people like Berlin, almost half of the city was destroyed. So, so 15 years from now, that city, the old country was in ruins. Now, fast track down backwards, we were starting from zero. We were starting like at minus 10. But the reality is that we were not starting at, even though the city was destroyed, the mind was already opened up to expansion, to new ideas, to, to do great things because the people were there. The people that built the books were Jim Vikos, that built those airplanes, that built those things that were used for the work or economy were still there. We did not deliberately invest in the minds of Nigeria. All we were concerned about was to build the next third mainland, the next eco bridge, um, to build another shining infrastructure, which is great, which is very critical. But what happens to the human mind? What happens to the education system? What happens to our healthcare system? What happens to our research and learning centers? And there is the same mistake we are making nowadays that when you hear the president say, well, we're constructing 13,000 roads, as I heard on this speech, did he talk about this is the intervention we've made in education? Did he talk about this intervention we made in primary healthcare? No, because to the average politician, those are like ad hoc achievements. They are not the critical threats. So I, was, I, I made the point of that. I tried to look forward by talking around the drivers. What are the drivers that can change things significantly? What are the drivers that can move things around? What are the things that we can do that will turn around the economy in a significant way? And I look at that taxation. That we, if we say we're going to be the post-oil country, then we have to be a country that is governed, that is run by taxes. A decent, a normal country runs on taxes. It doesn't run on commodities. United States, United Kingdom, Germany, you people, the country, you know, there's there's a code that says there are three things, you know, that that, that show in life, but the first two things that always show is debt and taxes. You know, the third one you can decide to make whatever you choose to third one. But debt and taxes are always starting in life. You would have to pay taxes wherever you are. Fact, when you look at the Nigeria today and you go back to the 60s, there was what you call the poor tax. In Yoruba, it's called worry. That means every single head, every single person of a certain age paid tax to the Western government or to the Eastern government because those taxes were used to run whatever you saw in Cocoa House today, whatever you see, where you are here, Archifaulo, Akefola, they delivered um, quality, free healthcare, free education. It was because people paid taxes. The cocoa produce that was brought to the marketing but were taxed. So how did we suddenly leave all that? And we propagated proper poverty. And also we didn't convert human beings to assets and we can effectively take taxes from them. 
because if you have if you have too many poor people, how do you take taxes from them? Or if you have too many rich people that are evading the system and are gaming the system, then definitely you are still having a job with your party. So for me, those drivers are quicker. Land users, why is it that for you to be able to change the title for a property, you can stay on that for a year, two years, and three years? What kind of system is that? Just because we have a bureaucratic system that is run at the state level. But I also talked about credit, access to credit. Nigeria, you want to own everything, you have to carry your money and buy everything. Where exactly does that happen in the world? Consumer credit system. Because that is effectively linked to identity, which one of the drivers I spoke about. Who is a Nigerian? You can cross the border from Ghana, get a certificate at the local government, and take that to the Nigerian office. Very nice. And suddenly you become a Nigerian. There is nothing that says you are different from a Ghanaian. There's no systematic structure that gives you being a Nigerian because we chose not to be. The only closest thing that we have done recently was the NIN. Um, and to be honest with you, how do young, young kids now get NIN? Do everybody now get NIN? And, and when you get NIN, that is a single, single identity that everything is connected. So in the US, it's called social security number. In the UK, it's called national insurance number. In Ghana, it is called the national identity number. Every country has like a single, and that is not just a number, like we have nine Nigeria. That's where your taxes are connected. That's where your voting record is connected. That is where all your offenses, either you run a red light or either you fail to pay, you pay to pay fines, all of that is connected to that number. We've not been integrated. So we still have disparate systems all over the place. Talked about identity. After I talked about the drivers, after after this, the drivers have addressed human capital. I now came around the growth poles. And I said that there are some offshoots, shoots that prove me that we need to be mindful of. One is agriculture. Agriculture still accounts for around 25% of Nigeria's GDP. There's no way we're going to run away from that. In plus schools, 80% of people in rural Nigeria. So, but which kind of agriculture are we talking about? Subsistence agriculture, value-added agriculture. I looked at the issues of tourism. What is Nigeria's story? Every single country, you, call it, you see that they build a story of tourism. I mean, I visit Washington, D.C. I, mean, I live around there in the U.S. And Washington, D.C. technically is a, is a new city. And I mean a new city because... It's not a Victorian city like the London or Rome, no, Vienna. It was built, you know, in a very small space. But, but it's not like, it doesn't have any natural endowment in some sort of way as you look at it. But what did they, they build a story? They built monuments of their presence or their influential figures in history. They built museums. So you go into Washington, DC, there's a tourist opportunity for you there. You know, that's the way it should be. You know, I was, I, I live when I was in Colombia, I was living behind this thing called the Grant Memorial Park, which was where one of their former presidents um, um, was, was buried and they, they made a big deal out of it. We, have you ever tried to make a big deal out of me, Marcelo Mopsic? Have we tried to even make, what exactly is the big deal we made out of Abuja? You don't want to come into Lagos now. Where, what's the tourist experience that we have to make for this person? No, because we fully sangled on all that. So I took that group, I look at ICT, I look at the opportunities for tech. I looked at entertainment, how much the movie industry is thriving. People drag me all around the world and say, ah, have you watched this? Have you watched that? That exactly is what should be. And I've also looked at the movie and the music industry. Look at David O. Biscuits selling out 
audiences across the world. That can be our woman. Imagine we are hosting a global festival. We've built a need to host a global music festival. One boy, Whiskey, David, all the biggest stars of the world are here. Imagine how much money is giving us, is bringing us to the world, because they're going to come with dollars. They're going to be, have a lot of influence on the local market. And that's what Ghana is trying to start with the year of the song. Finally, I have to wrap all of, all of the books and look at values, ethos, and, and look at what do we, how do we, what's, what's our way of recruiting to bring to the political office? What about our issues of corruption? What about our issues of, 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 of value system? What's our foreign policy alright? How do we change the, how do we change, how do we build a country that is governed by institutions? And for me, it's, I, I would say I've exhausted all the questions. I'm just saying that if we even answer all of these questions and we are honest about it, they will move things forward. But like I said, in Nigeria, Nigeria is a country that is governed, that is rooted in deceit. And Nigeria is deceit because it's still a tiny political class that still finds an opportunity to extract as much as possible from it. And it's not interested much in exclusive and inclusive and explosive growth. It just wants to extract how much they can from the current space. When we get a country that is propelled by productivity and growth, then we will know that things will significantly be different. So I would advise you to read my book. I don't think I think I've done the poor job of marketing it. And I think it's just because there's so, so much hanging on my head to drive around. But I'm very excited I put it out there. And I always ask that you read it. And I always encourage more people to do so. Thank you very much. Wow. Thank you so much, Mr. Sharon, for such depth of thoughts shared. Um, wow. <laughs> that gave us quite a lot to think about. And um, I must really appreciate the intention puts behind, um, behind the delivery. Thank you so much. Oh, I didn't know my video. Thank you so much, Mr. Sharon. Um, as I said, to respect everybody's time, um, the network has been really poor. I must sincerely apologize for that. I don't even know how we could have avoided that. But we'll jump right in. We cannot take the panel session at the moment because of time. I'm really sorry, everyone. But I make a promise. Um, based on the feedbacks I've been getting privately, um, we're going to have this is not going to be a one-stop conversation. We're going to have a curated number of, of conversations going forward, um, especially based on the, the data we receive from registrations. You know, we're going to have this same kind of event curated for just government um, stakeholders, for just industry stakeholders, and just um, academia stakeholders. Because that's, that's another uh, issue, right, that if you've noticed, everyone of the facilitators as raised, which is that, you know, we start something great, but we don't keep it going. So um, in, in the spirit of all of the conversations we've had today, um, this is not going to be a one-stop one thing. Um, since we have your, um, your email addresses, I'm going to reach out to you on the series of conversations that we're going to be having following this. So I guess right now we can just jump right into the breakout sessions where you can get a one-on-one -on -one engagement with the with the with the authors um because we've been doing all the talking um now you, you have the floor to do all of the talking um that is supposed to last for 30 to 45 minutes but you know if it doesn't have to be that long we'll just reconvene i'll give the closing remarks and we'll be done for today so thank you so much 
Um, I think, um, yes, yeah, so I'll just assign everyone to a group, to a group right now. So, um, Uma, if you can hear me, I think what we can do is, can you just divide the group into three and then just allocate randomly to the groups um, so that from there, people can now randomly choose whatever group that they want to join afterwards. Do you understand, uh, Uma? So people can actually just pick any group, any, any room that they want to join. It's open to everyone. But if you need Sorry? help, I said anyone can join any breakout room. But if anyone needs help, you can just send a message in the chat box and I will assign it to your room. Okay, please, please check your chat box. So while we resolve um, the breakout rooms, you can keep um, introducing yourselves, giving feedback on how the event has been so far in the chat section so that we would, um, we would know how well we're doing.
Hello everyone, so I've assigned you to breakout rooms. Kindly accept. Thank you.
Hello, good morning. So we're currently having breakout sessions. Um, kindly join any of the rooms or ask me for assistance.
All right. Hello, everyone. Um, we're at the end of the event. We're just going to wait for every other person in the breakout room to join us. Um, Uma. Yes, we need to round up the sessions. But I think for us that are here, um, why would we wait for others to join in? Um, let me just quickly ask. Um, let me quickly ask my colleague. Hello, Uma, are you here? Hello, everyone. Sorry, I had to quickly um, get every other person um, out of the breakout room. So let me just, so everybody is, I'm going to close all the rooms now. No, we're not, we're almost done. I'm just going to give a closing remark. I just want to get everybody back in here. Um, let me see. Okay, I'm going to close all rooms now. Okay, so in 60 seconds, everybody would, would join in and then we'll just close out and then we can enjoy the rest of our day. As I said, I respect your time. We have 10 more, 10 more minutes. Uh, we'll just use that to close out and then we'll be done. So let's just wait for others to join us, please, so that um, we can round up.
So um, while we wait for everyone to join in, um, Mr. Yomi, would you like to give a <laughs> closing remark before I give mine? Um, I think Mr. Shown is also... Um, um, in, in, interesting. Uh, I, I actually did not prepare a closing remark, but hey, this has been engaging for me. I love uh, I love um, having these kind of discussions. Thanks, Tony, for inviting me to this uh, event. I actually think uh, this was a creative event, bringing, bringing three of us together to, to have this discussion. Thank God I'm not, I did not represent legacy uh, because like, like Mr. Show said, <laughs> we, all, we all feel young. I still feel like I'm the future as well, but yeah, 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 more future. Um, look, um, this, we need to take these conversations on, uh, but the conversations start from within. Actually, each, each person needs to have the conversation within. You know, we, we, we all talk about, you know, when, I, when I start from what Mr. Shell said, around the policies and, and things like that. But, you know, we, we make the government. We, it's not, um, people, we can't point our fingers because we have family members there. We have people we know there. We are part of the system. Uh, and it all, it all starts from what, what do you do when people are not looking, right? Do you take that one way? Do you, do you take the, you cut corners? Do you, you know, because people are jumping the line, do you, do you also choose to jump the line? So the conversation starts from within. Um, and how do you then take it within and with your micro environment and impact, how do you grow that, right? And then how do we challenge ourselves, even when we are successful in private sector, to have the conversation with public sector? And then how do we act and join the action, right? Um, I hope we found this valuable. These are questions I continue to ask myself. It's partly why I wrote the book. Uh, it's, it's partly why I do what I do and I ask myself, what next? Um, I hope it's been valuable to you and I hope it drives you to action in one way or the other. Thank you very much. Awesome, awesome. Um, wow. I can't believe I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to speak after that. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, um, Lemi. That was, that was a great um, roundup statement. Um, I don't think uh, Mr. Shem will be able to, to join to, to give a roundup statement. I think he had to quickly jump off the call. So I'm just going to say that on behalf of myself, Mr. Um, Yomi and Mr. Lucio, I really appreciate everyone who has made it at the time. I'm really glad that everybody felt it was worth the time. And I must really appreciate the tenacity and resilience that beyond the network failure, the erratic network, we still stuck it out till now. Um, I really appreciate everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Now, um, Sadly, some people were not able to attend, but everybody, but they've been reaching out to me that you know they they really they've been getting feedback and they really wish they were a part of it. So what we're going to do is that we're going to do a spin-off conversation on this um, called that we call town halls, right? And this time, so that we, we are a little more organized, we're going to have them um, per sector. So the three actors in this whole conversation are government, academia, and industry. And I always like to add, add um, on the graduates, right? So we're going to do town halls where those who were able to register and those on this call will be invited based on the, the sectors that they've identified. And then we're just going to you know, push the conversations further. And this also be begins to create a community of stakeholders who are invested in these sort of conversations, right? Um, Yes, I, I think with these few 
few words of mine. Um, please check your emails. Uh, we're currently running a, a, a discounted promotion on all three books. Um, please check your email or reach out to me via email um, to get access to the copies of the book, either individually or discounted. Of course, I always prefer that you get it discounted as a pack, right? Um, yes, I think with that said, thank you so much for joining in. Have a wonderful Independence Day. And happy Independence Day, Nigeria, and just our great future of prosperity once again. Thank you so much. All right, you can read your farewell messages. We've come to the end of the event. You can read your farewell messages um, in the comment section. You can let me know what your experiences have been. You can let me know if this was properly organized, what you liked, what you didn't like, um, if you give feedback. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, my name is Bamidele Toyin. Um, my name is Bamidele Toyin. Okay.